Well, let's just go. Oh, he already got the title up there. I hadn't looked up there. Uh, Black-eyed peas. How many of you have got some of these ready to go for tomorrow's New Year's Day meal, lunch, or supper? Raise your hand. Very good. All right, all right. Anybody want these? Well, it is a New Year's tradition for many families. Um, and I talked with Allison, right? She saw this up here from uh, practicing before the service. And uh, I know that my mother, on occasion, did it. Uh, it's often accompanied with collard greens and cornbread. And with all those type of uh, foods and those who would celebrate New Year's, it, it, it supposedly brings you, by doing that, it brings you what? Good luck, okay. Wealth, yeah. In fact, Alice and I were talking, I read this week, because I'm trying to research all the traditions, that the beans represent coins, the collard greens represent paper currency, and the cornbread is gold. And I'm thinking, the only happiness I can find through black beans is not eating them. Black-eyed peas, I mean, just don't do it for me. And I know some of you say, well, you just haven't put enough bacon in there or put cheese on it or something else like that or put some salsa with it. Now, granted, there is that cowboy caviar that has them in it, right? Isn't there some cowboy caviar that has the black-eyed peas in it? But um, that tradition goes back to the Civil War, at least uh, from what I can find uh, uh, this week or looking it up, because Union soldiers, as they made their way through the South, burned fields of corn and wheat and wherever else they could destroy, but they left the black-eyed peas because they thought only livestock would eat black-eyed peas, thereby allowing Southerners to have some staple during the wintertime. Whether that's true or not, it, I don't know, but it is. You'll find it if you research that. Um, Jewish practice is that, in fact, they, they will claim that they've had it, you know, Civil Wars 1861 to 65, uh, Jewish practice says that the Talmud, so from 1,500 years ago, that on Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the new year, you would eat uh, black-eyed peas. And I give you the quote, it is to help you um, have hope for a fruitful year and increasing merit. So I thought, well, if everybody's talking about a new year and some of you got black-eyed peas, and I'm not trying to make fun of you if you eat black-eyed peas, and I, yes, I know it was a band, and yes, I know there used to be a restaurant here in town called the Black-Eyed Pea that you could go and get your bowl of that and other good stuff like that, uh, get your what, soul food, if you will. But to make this new year, 2024, even better, uh, oh, and the other thing about that, I was going to have a contest today. How many beans do you think are in here? Because according to one tradition, you have to eat 365 beans to have a good year. And if you eat too many, every bean over 365 takes a day away of goodness or luck or wealth or whatever. And if you don't eat enough, yes, yeah, so whatever. But before we cram 365 beans in our mouths, I think it's important to see God's recipe for happiness. Because um, like that song was saying, you know, we may not always know, but we know what he's done. And he's set before us an opportunity to choose his way or, or the way to destruction. So if you have your Bibles, go with me, please, to Psalm, the first uh, Psalm. And uh, actually, I could read verse, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, but I'm just going to pick on Psalm 1 because it sets the tone for uh, 
the 150 psalms that are contained in the Bible, as well as our, our text for today. So, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether he does prosper, whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. Father, as we are on the uh, precipice of a new year, many of us are hoping for better things in January. Many of us are content with the way things are. But whether we are looking for a better year or just continuation of a great momentum, remind us that you have set before us your way or Satan's way. And when we choose your way, blessings, happiness, follow. And when we choose the way of the wicked, destruction and eternal damnation lie waiting for us. Speak to the hearts of these who would hear today. For this is your word. Thus says the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, Psalm 1 is not accidentally there. You know, if you have a hymn book, uh, Baptist hymn book, is Holy, Holy, Holy still the number one one? Is that number one? Some of you, we haven't sung in the hymnal so long. Yeah. Why do we still have them in there? I know, some of you like to look at the words. Is number one, Holy, Holy, Holy? Number two? Number one? Thank you, Joyce. Number two. What's number one then? Well, I guess shows you the vintage of Baptist I am, too. I thought Holy Holy was always number one. I mean, that's like, that's the preface to all the other scriptures. And that's what Psalm 1 is. Psalm 1 is like an index on a map or the key on a map. You know, when you have a map and it's got all these little symbols on it over on the legend, somewhere on the side or on the bottom, it usually has a compass that orientates you which way is north, you know. But somewhere on that map are little definitions or explanations of the things that are on the map. And Psalm 1 is the starting place for everything that's going to follow. In fact, most biblical commentators, when they break apart the book of Psalms, these 150 songs, if you will, they, they divide it into five different sub-books. But this first psalm basically jumps all the way to Psalm 150 when he says, let all the things that have breath praise the Lord. In other words, God is the way for life, wickedness the devil is the way for death. So, this doesn't happen often, but it's, it's okay. Is it from Psalm? Which Psalm? The 23rd? Okay. Well, I, I'm glad now that Whatever confusion I have created, 
we've expanded upon, but Psalm, Psalm 23 is the first thing in our Baptist hymnal. That is, that's in that version. You know, and every, you can tell, if you go to my office, there are like five different versions of Baptist hymnals that it's fun to see uh, how they have changed. And, and some, that, that one that we use actually has responsive readings in the back, which is a little more, I don't know, ecumenical than what it was probably when I grew up. But um, nonetheless, Psalm 1 sets the journey. Uh, the tone, if you will, between godly and ungodliness. It sets the tone between right, the righteous and the wicked, the blessed and the cursed, the happy and the sad. And it's very similar to Deuteronomy 30. I think it's verse 15 through, I don't know if that's the end of that chapter, it's like the next five verses, and, and I won't make you turn to it, but basically he says, I set before you today life and death. It's your choice. You want to join the Father in heaven through the Son, it's by choosing the Son. And if you want to join Satan in eternal damnation and in hell, choose the way of the wicked. Look at verse 1 with me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, the Hebrew word for blessed is E-S-H-E-R, and my Hebrew is worse than my Greek. Esher or some would use an O sound, Osher. Uh, it sounds like a word that, another Hebrew word for rich, but the word really means happy. And I think in our modern vernacular, we use that term happy that's far more interchangeable. I'm happy today, and, you know, but you don't often say I've been blessed. It has more of a church or religious overture to it, which is fine. But he's saying the man or woman who walks with the Lord, not in the counsel of the wicked, is the one who's going to be happy. Which caused me then to think about all the things that we do preparing for a new year to find happiness. Dan told me this week that the only resolution he makes is not to make resolutions anymore. I'm perfectly I'm content with that because whatever you do, well, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to save money. I'm going to not yell at my kids as much. I, I'm Not that I do. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to be better at my job. I'm going to be in church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. All those kind of things. It, it's fun to say it's a fresh start. And that's why I alluded to in, in the opening prayer, every day with the Lord is a fresh start. Every day you, get, you can reset. Lord, this day is going to be better because I'm going to try. I'm going to follow. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be more moldable for what you have in store for me today. But we do make resolutions. We make promises to ourselves to change, like I said, to lose weight, to save, to whatever, as we are in our pursuit of happiness. Yes, I know that's the title of a Will Smith movie, I think, in movies, but I also think it's somewhere in one of those old, could it be the Declaration of Independence? Somewhere like that, maybe? Pursuit of happiness? I don't know. But somebody else think about that. But that doesn't that describe us all. We all want to be happy. Anybody in here come to church today and you really want to be unhappy? Well, that's why I came to church, Cliff. I knew you'd make me unhappy. No, we want to be happy. And there are different things that will make each of you happy. Put a grandchild on your lap. You're happy. With a stinky diaper, you're unhappy. Some of you are happy when you're empty nesters. Some of you are happy when you have a new car. Some of you are happy with a new boat. I don't know. I'm looking at different people. I could probably call out to some of you what I know you like, and you know, whether it's 
more money in the bank, whether it's uh, golfing, uh, whether it's some your sporting team won, you know, if the Cowboys won or the Texans win or whatever, whatever. Uh, Brenda and I went to, uh, where did we go? Seattle. Yeah, we took uh, Spencer's uh, son back to Seattle on Tuesday. And as I got off the plane, there was a guy in a uh, Pittsburgh T-shirt getting off at Seattle. And I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing in Seattle? I just, you know, because I'll talk to anybody. It was chaplain too long. I, you know, I used to get encouraged to talk with the, the airmen. So I said, what, what do you got that on? He goes, oh, man, I'm coming for the game. I didn't even know there was a, that they were playing Pittsburgh or whatever. He goes, you know, I've been going to games in Pittsburgh all my life. He said, I finally figured out they play in other places. <laughs> so that was making him happy. What brings you happiness? No, you're way too ahead. I don't know who's on the clicker today. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Stay on the pursuit of happiness. That's what I'm teasing you. It's all right. Um, how can I throw myself off further <laughs> from Joe saying, Cliff? <laughs> so I'll start over here. <laughs> the Pursuit of Happiness um, is a uh, movie by Will Smith. I come back over here. It's in the Declaration of Independence. I'm trying to find my, my spot where I know I was in my notes. Um, it is also the uh, essence of a new book by Oprah Winfrey and uh, Dr. Arthur Brooks, who is a sociology professor at Harvard. Brenda and I just saw a video clip of it uh, the other night, and I immediately said, well, I won't tell you exactly what I said. Uh, I said, oh, Oprah did it, so her whole fan club, that's going to be a very successful book. And it is entitled, Build the Life You Want. Actually, uh, give them some credit. Uh, there's some good stuff in it. Yeah, I have perused an online copy. Uh, I think it just came out in November. Um, that they said that, that happiness is not found through finance. It's not found through, you know, fame. It's not found through friends. It's not found through your beauty. It's not found through any of those things, that material-type possessions. It is found, they said, building four pillars of your life of family, friends, work, and faith. And I thought, well, I was pretty good that you got faith in there, but to me, faith is the foundation. Faith is, has to be the foundation for your happiness because those other three things will fail you. If you live long enough, you'll find that work will someday let you go. Family and friends will someday not accept or not do what you wanted them to do. So as we think about how to pursue happiness... Psalm 1 says, happy is the man who doesn't walk with the counsel of the wicked, but with the wisdom of God. Don't stand in the way of sinners, he says, or in the seat of mockers, but delights in the law of the Lord. Here, the law of the Lord would imply the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But we can easily say that all of God's inspired words can be considered as delight for his children. For through those books, we find the prophecy we find the birth of the Savior, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, and the power that we receive through the Holy Spirit by our faith in him. So we are to ponder, to delight in the word of God. Verse 3, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does it mean to delight in something? I delight in a bowl of ice cream with chocolate 
and I like mixed nuts on top of it, but starting tomorrow, I won't have that for till at least Wednesday, I guess, maybe. I don't know. That's usually the way my dieting works, but, you know, I thought about it. To delight in something is to take pleasure in it. So do you delight in your Bible study? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, I knew Keely would be here, sometimes it's like flossing. I know I'm supposed to do it, and I know it has long-term dividends for me, but I really don't want to do it. But if you've ever just got done eating a big steak, and you look like Shrek when you smile, the toothbrush just won't do it. So you got to get the floss out or one of those things or one of those pierces, you know, or whatever to, to get it all out. And you feel so much better because you have relieved yourself of that pain, that suffering, that thing which was causing trouble. And I think delighting in the word of the Lord is somewhere in between there because it is knowledge that you're redoing and recapturing what he has in store for you. And then at times it speaks to your heart in a special and different way. I use the dental illustration not to throw, uh, you know, coins at my dentist here, but to say that it goes along with this next word. He says, <clears throat> he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's an interesting word in Hebrew. It is the word hagah, H-A-G-A-H, which means to moan or to gnarl or to growl. You ever had a dog... Anybody got dogs? And they bring a bone to you? You know, something they, you know, if you have, you know, like, outdoor dog, you know, maybe find something out there, a bird or, I don't know, whatever, and they bring this carcass and drop it in front of you, and then they look at you, and you're like, hey, good boy, good girl, whatever, and I'll get it out of here, and they take it, and they go somewhere, and they, they chew on it, and they, they, you know, digest it. And sometimes they'll chew on a bone that you don't see any meat on. What, what good could there be there? What, what benefit could there be? But it is something that they are, it's like a cow. They chew their, their cud, right? And I asked Dan this this morning. He said, how many stomachs does a cow have? Oh, four. Dan, I thought you said two. I said three. Four? I don't know. They got a lot of stomachs. So they can re-chew several times the same thing that's come in their mouth once. Likewise, the Word of God, when you chew on it multiple times, new things will speak to you if you meditate on it. And that's where it gets to me. Now, I can come back. Now, you know, I'm, I'm with you now, Joe. Joe's going to never, never say a word again the rest of my time here. Yeah. No, she will. Um, I said seven seconds is how long our conversations usually before your mind drifts off. I think it's less than that in my sermons. But... What the author that I was reading that about said, if you have a love in your life, currently a love in your life, and hopefully it's your wife or your husband or it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but that's where your mind constantly goes back to. So if you're in conversation with somebody, in seven seconds it goes back to this thing that you're loving so much. You know, you're at a stoplight, and all of a sudden you're not thinking about the traffic, you're thinking about this thing you love. What he is saying, and I think is so true, when you have meditated, when you have delight in the words, the words of the Lord, when his holy scripture, every so often, whether it's seven seconds for you or seven minutes or seven hours or seven days, hopefully it's a little more frequent than that, when you need to reset, your mind comes back 
to what brings you delight. And it's God's Word. Groan, moan. Some of you here this morning, you're in love with the ways of the wicked. Oh, Cliff, don't read. Now you're meddling now. But we are to be in love with the ways of the Lord. That's what's always to be on our mind. And when you come here today, you say, Lord, help me find happiness through you, through your word. The pursuit of happiness plants itself by the streams of living water. Look at that verse with me. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Twenty years ago, when I was stationed at Kelly, um, I would go down Southwest Military before we were all grown up so much. Uh, there was, what was the mall? There was a mall down there, wasn't there? Right before 35? I don't know what the, yeah. And usually between there and when you come back to Kelly, uh, there was a guy with a trailer, and I had a trailer at that time, and, and I kept thinking, I'm going to stop someday and buy one from him. He had these massive trees. Where he was digging these trees up from, I have no idea. But two trees on the back of his, like, 18-foot trailer was about all he could carry. And I did stop and talk to him once because we had bought a house that had nothing in the front yard. I mean, they did hydra soil where they spray, like, seeds and green stuff and basically holds the dirt back, but there are no trees. And I wanted to buy one of those, like, ready-made trees. You know, I want a full-size tree. You can hang a, a, a swing in it or something like that. $1,500 is what he wanted. This is 20 years ago. And he would come and dig the hole and put that gigantic tree in there, and then he'd be off probably digging up one somewhere else, in, in your backyard, I'm sure. And then he would sell it to somebody else. I didn't do it because I didn't have the money and, frankly, didn't know if it would last. And, and I think... Maybe it was Jim in a sermon of his recently. Somebody has said it recently. The idea that when something is thriving, a plant is thriving, like this is nourishing right now because Sandra is taking care of them, right? Mine at my house, well, they're, they're dying because no one's done anything to them. But if they were alive like this and I went and picked it up and planted it somewhere this week, it might be in shock a little while. And then if I pulled it up a week after that and planted it over here, it would be shock again. In the same way with those gigantic trees, you wouldn't th what kind of shock would it be to the system of that tree that was such, those had to be 25, 30-year-old trees that he's selling you, maybe older than that, to be replanted somewhere else. It's going to be a shock on the system. The writer of the psalm is saying, stay planted in the Lord. And I use that as an illustration for you. As I get ready to retire in two months, I've heard from some well, I just don't know where I'll go to church anymore. And I say to you, if that's been across your mind, stay where the Lord has blessed you, has had you nourished, and you have fed well, and you have grown here. And know that whoever comes after me will still proclaim the good news of Jesus. And this, like those red trees that we use that in illustration, I remember one uh, Wednesday night, you ever seen the red trees in California, the gigantic trees, you know, like, there's one called General Sherman or whatever. He used to be able to drive cars through them before they realized that the root system in the redwoods is very shallow. It doesn't go down deep. It goes out to other trees. And the roots of the other trees help strengthen all the trees. You strengthen one another by planting yourself here, drawing from the water of the Lord and growing 
in love of him. Pursuit of happiness. Second thing, which I think you already saw, which will you choose? It's kind of like in a sermon I heard years ago, and I can't remember who preached that one either. The pastor talked about the first time his daughter went on a date. Uh, And the man who came to the door was obviously not who he would have selected for his daughter to date. He was not dressed in preppy clothes, which he thought the guy would be, you know, like a college beta club, you know, athlete or something, you know, with a nice trim haircut and everything. And he described in colorful terms how this man was everything but that. You know, he uh, had strangely fluorescent colored hair and, and he had strange attire. And, and he thought to himself, you choose hamburger beef. And those of you who are 40 years or old enough to remember, there were Wendy's commercials a long time ago where there were two hamburgers that you could choose from. Hamburger A, which was this succulent-looking massive hamburger with lettuce and tomatoes and pickles and all this. That was the Wendy's hamburger. Or there was this other hamburger that was kind of a shriveled-up little piece of meat in a small bun. And they even said it was from frozen meat. I'm sure it was an elbow at McDonald's at the time. And he thought to himself, honey, you chose hamburger beef. And those of you who are so young, you can't remember. And Steve, I selected this one just for you. So hit this first video. Sir, would you choose hamburger A, a Wendy's hamburger made with fresh beef, or B, made with beef that's been frozen? Hamburger B. Why? Looks like the chow we had in the Marines. Was it good? No, it was terrible. But what memories? Slogging chest deep through the muck, mosquitoes as big as choppers, the smell of sulfur in the air, I loved it. Say, were you in the Corps? No. I didn't think so. Most people prefer hamburgers made with fresh beef, like Wendy's, the best burgers in the business. Nah, I'm sorry. Sir, would you choose hamburger A, a Wendy's hamburger that's made fresh, or hamburger B that's pre-made so it sits around? Or B, because it sits around. I'm a trucker, and I need something made for the long haul, and that baby looks like it'd hang around for six, maybe seven states. But wouldn't the fresh Wendy's hamburger taste better? It might, but I can eat this bee burger in Shaky Town and still be tasting it in Salt Lake. <laughs> Most people prefer the taste of fresh hamburgers, like Wendy's, the best burgers in the business. No offense to Marines or truck drivers, uh, but... The psalmist is very clear that the Lord has set before us his way for blessing, happiness, and the other way, which is unhappiness and basically destruction. And he says that the wicked will be like chaff, uh, blown away, unable to stand the judgment in the presence of God on this road to destruction. Whoever would want to choose that way? Well, I I realize that in life, choices may not always be so obvious uh, as that hamburger A and hamburger B. Sometimes you have chose hamburger B and it develops into your life as hamburger B. But when you choose God, when you choose to delight in his word, to meditate in his word, to be in his presence rather than the presence of the wicked, rather than walking with the voice of counsel of those outside of God's way, he will bless you with happiness. Ponder, meditate on the word. 
And because we've been in John so long, I have to recite for you John 1.1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Choose to meditate, to gnaw on the Word, and happiness along with grace and mercy will be yours. Stand with me, please. Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, help us to redefine what happiness is in our hearts and in our minds. It is not the size of our bank account or how many things we have in our garage or any of the other earthly things that so many of us spend our lives in pursuit of. Help us to pursue, help us to spend time, help us to meditate and devour your word, which reminds us that all things come from you and that as the song we sang earlier, the battle has already been won and that we may not always know how things are going to go from day to day, but we know who determines and who steers and who guides and who will bring us through whatever battle we're in. So Lord, if there's one here today who needs to come and maybe kneel and pray and ask your forgiveness, uh, we have prayer warriors that like to join in and pray with them. Maybe there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they said, it's time that I find true happiness that can only come through knowing I have been forgiven, knowing that I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So Lord, we choose you. You chose us first. And we want to echo that love and say we love you, Lord, for loving us. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. So I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.